Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Living with XXY podcast series. This is your host, Ryan Berganti. And today we have an incredible episode coming at you. I have my really good friend who I've actually met in person in Australia on the other line. And hey, what's going on, Jeff? How are you? Yeah, good day. I'm good, man. Thank you. Absolutely. It's, uh, great to be part of the show. Yeah, it's awesome to have someone. You're our first person internationally from Australia. And I'm going to let Jeff take it away. Um, Jeff and I met online through, what did we meet? Online through Facebook or something um, before I traveled yeah. to Australia? Yeah, it was Facebook. I um, got in touch through uh, Living With XXY and um, I learned that you were coming out to Australia. I was really excited about uh, connecting and um, yeah, just meeting, meeting another person, I think. I think you were one of my first. I think you were the first person I met um, as well, you know, as having um, Kleinfelder syndrome um, after my di diagnosis. And so uh, I, um, yeah, I was very eager to, to meet you. And, and obviously you're uh, leading a great um, team of people and uh, a great cause. And so to have that connection would have been fantastic. So, yeah, we met in Melbourne, had a meal together and spent the day. It was fantastic. So. Yeah. yeah, that was definitely a really fun time. And it was just uh, incredible to be able to travel from San Diego all the way to Australia. And with being like communication online to be able to meet you in person and hang out for the day that we did, it was definitely a really fun time. And um, we'll eventually have to, you know, meet up again and enjoy ourselves. So, that'd, yeah, that'd be super good. So when, um, for our community out there, you obviously have Kleinfelder syndrome and when were you diagnosed, and can you take us back into those into those days? Yeah, sure. Um, well, first, I'll just say, you know, I'm uh, I'm based about an hour just north of the city of Melbourne, which is down the bottom of Australia. Um, I'm married, been married eleven years um, to my lovely wife Beth, and um, I'm uh, forty two, and. Uh, Originally came from the northern state of Queensland, up far north Queensland, up the uh, top of Australia. Um, I was diagnosed back in 2012. Uh, we'd been married for three years, and um, it was uh, it really came about because uh, when we first got married, um, like any bloke, maybe there's a select few that are just dying to be dads. Um, but for me, it wasn't something that was like an overbearing like desire to, you know, jump straight in and, um, you know, become a dad. Uh, for me, you know, I really wanted to um, develop my relationship with my wife and, and get to know each other first and, and um, you know, live some dreams and, and follow some goals that we had set for each other. And I just thought, you know, naturally, um, you know, going down that road uh, would eventually happen. Um, and then... So when I was diagnosed, it sort of came with a massive surprise. Uh, you know, we had a lot of friends around us that were having kids. Um, we had a lot of, uh, you know, both our families are quite large, um, Beth's more so than mine. And, you know, being around uh, younger people, excuse me, all the time was, um, yeah, it was just a going thing. And so for us, it was, it was quite a big blow. Um, and yeah, it was, you know, initially thinking, right, for me, it wasn't so much about, you know, I can't be a dad. I straight away thought, um, 
you know, Beth can't be a mum. You know, she can't carry a child. Um, I was thinking about both our parents uh, not being able to have grandkids. Um, you know, it was definitely not something I went straight inside myself and thought, you know, I, I, I can't do that. Um, and so, you know, but um, in that moment, though, it really made me think, right, um, learning about Kleinfelders and the symptoms, um, the clear symptoms and the things that um, happen um, around, um, I started thinking back over my life and especially I've always been a big guy. I'm six foot six. Um, I've generally held um, a constant weight of around 120 kilos uh, most of my life. I Around my wedding time, which is uh, it doesn't have to be stressful, but sometimes it is. I, I dropped down uh, below 110, which is the first time and the last time I've ever been in that life. <laughs> um, but uh, it was good. I, I was uh, I was riding uh, to and from work. I didn't have my license until I was 29, and um, uh, I just lived in places that had good public transport and all that sort of stuff. And uh, so I was exercising every day, um, more out of necessity than anything. And um, but yeah, I, I, I think looking back and, and saying, okay, well, right, um, most of the guys with Kleinfelders are tall, um, you know, because of the extra X chromosome, we carry weight where maybe women would normally carry weight around the, the chest and, you know, the, the big um, big bum and the thighs and, and all that sort of thing, the big waist. Um, weight was always fluctuating for me. Uh, it was definitely something I probably was a bit more self-conscious of uh, in my early days at school. Um, used to get bullied a lot uh, for being tall, but also for being big. I think the, the, the tough guys around school saw that as a, you know, let's see how, see how far he can go and, and stuff. But my personality was very soft. I was very shy, extremely shy. And, um, you know, I'd spend most of my weekends, you know, in my bedroom, um, playing Lego and, and drawing and doing artwork and different things. Um, so, which, no, so, yeah, go on. so I'm just curious. So you were tall growing up and you got bullied and you were, you were shy. So even though you were being, even though you were tall and bigger than probably a lot of the bullies, they still bullied you. And, and did you, did you learn at some point with bullying, like to stand up for yourself or like, what was that situation like? Yeah. the I, ne- I didn't really, I didn't learn to, uh, to defend myself. I didn't really know. My father was also a, quite a soft man, not, not soft in the, um, in the, in the leadership point and, um, affirming and, you know, being a dad sort of point, but just being, you know, I, I could, he wasn't a hard man, put it that way. And, um, and so I didn't really have really strong, strong men leaders around me. And so I didn't really have, that um, protective uh, personality that came through and, and I wasn't, uh, I, I mean, there were points, I remember a couple of instances at school, there was a couple of kids that just really pushed and pushed and pushed and one day, you know, I reacted and, you know, I, I completely leveled this kid. Um, I, I just, uh, my, my arms weren't particularly strong, but I had strong thighs and I just remember you know, ramming my, my knee into this guy's uh, side and he dropped like a ton of bricks. Um, 
but you know straight away he'd get back up and start getting into me but I didn't really go beyond that I just tend to like um yeah right eh? I, I don't really want to engage anymore and I just walk away regardless of the abuse or or um you know the physical violence was that was inflicted it was just not for me it was easier just walking away than trying to you know defend myself and then I think um uh you know later on when I started my apprenticeship years um you know and I was 18 uh, obviously hormones were pumping you know there was there was girls around and and you know obviously your, your self-consciousness um comes uh you know into play and you know being a big guy um you know you want to sort of leave a bit of a mark but at the same time i was never about you know going out to parties and and um excuse my expression but trying to get in people's pants or anything like that that's what they that's the expression i heard but uh <laughs> for me i loved i love people you know i love being around people even though i was super shy um you know, I still love to go out and be a part of people groups and and learn from people, talk to people. And a lot of those people were girls. And uh, I had probably more um, girls as friends than I did guys as friends. And, um, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, they'd come up and say, well, mate, what are you doing, mate? Like, you're, how, are you, how are you pulling all these girls? And I said, well, I'm, I'm not really pulling them. They're just, they're, they're my friends, you know, I'm, Obviously, there might have been a few that I was attracted to, for sure. You know, you wouldn't be a man if I wasn't. Um, but at the same time, uh, it was more about getting to know them. And so, but through that, uh, I became more of the big brother, you know, the big teddy bear. Maybe there's a few, quite a few guys, I'm sure, um, like myself, would uh, definitely uh, feel that uh, pain. Because <laughs> when it came time and you really wanted to maybe engage in a friendship or a relationship, it was just... I didn't have the courage. Yeah. I didn't know how to talk to girls in that regard. Um, yeah, you didn't have for me. You didn't have the confidence no. to to to, to no. make the move from from friend no. to actually pulling the trigger and asking someone out. Exactly. Yeah. No, I didn't at all. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, I the first ever girl um, that I did, you know, I was uh, must have been twenty two. I think was my very first time had a friendship with a girl, and it was through mutual friends that we. Yeah, uh, you know, got a bit more friendly. Um, it was non-physical relationship. It was just a really uh, someone that I just wanted to spend a lot of time with, you know. And we hung out a lot. Um, you know, my wife was my first, um, you know, physical relationship, uh, and I'm proud to say that. I know that it's pretty rare these days, but it's something that, and it's not even sort of related to, um, like I mentioned in my article about my faith. It's not even re- re- um, regarding that. It, I think it comes down to my traditional upbringing um you know and seeing how long my parents have been married and um just having that value in a person and and you know wanting that um to be special you know with the person that you spend the rest of your life with um but you know everyone's different and i'm not saying you should be a certain way it's just that that's what worked for me and i'm proud to say that today yeah absolutely man this is this is all about you and and it's incredible to see that you know this part of your life that you are, you know, I'm asking you some questions that you haven't even thought of, you know, going back, but it's interesting to see that, you know, you got bullied even before you even knew that you had Kleinfelder syndrome and how you handled, how you handled things. And so, 
once you kind of got that diagnosis, you were, you were obviously trying for kids with your wife for quite some time. And then once you learned that you couldn't be a father, did they give you any other options of like donor sperm or adoption or things like that? Micro T's? Yeah, look, um, we, after our diagnosis, um, it was only it was the initial stage when we first got told okay you got con failures. Um, that was that was one thing. That wasn't the the end of the road at that point for us. It was the beginning, but it was also quite a a, um, a tough emotional time, uh, especially for Beth. Um, you know she's yeah, but uh, she's just an amazing person really, and I'm glad to have. Um, her strength in our relationship um but uh you know we from there we we went and spoke to um there's a place in in adelaide in south australia which is in a different state uh we traveled to uh from where we were living it was about a four-hour drive uh, a place called repro med and uh they had a lot of doctors and specialists in fertility uh we had a time uh, with my endocrinologist at the time i was appointed uh, and he then also referred us to see a counsellor and that counsellor talked to us about the options we had at that point. Um, I hadn't yet had um, the microtessie. Um, I then went and had a biopsy on both testes. They took tissue and they said, look, you know, there's, there's not a great possibility that it's going to work, but there is a possibility. And if it is possible, um, you know, we can, uh, we can hold some sperm uh, and, you know, you might be able to go down uh, the road of IVF and uh, have a successful pregnancy. Um, if you can't, um, then there's not that much more that you can do um, within your personal body self, um, but there are options of adoption, um, which in Australia is one of the hardest things. Uh, a lot of people go offshore um, to adopt. Um, and I mean, that just opens up a whole lot of challenges too, because a lot of the time you have to live in a country for a certain amount of years before you're eligible. In Australia, I don't really understand um, all the ins and outs of adoption. To be honest, um, we pretty shortly after we were thinking about it, decided that we weren't going to go down that road. We had quite a few people that had talked to us about it and they said it was a, a the start as a lengthy process, could take up to four years even before you get, um, you know, uh, noticed and go, then go down that road. Um, you know, we still, we, we needed to move on. We need to keep uh, living our life and, and, uh, you know, we definitely registered for different things. We even, um, well, the other option was um, donor sperm. And uh, they did talk about that quite extensively. And it was something that I thought, you know, might be a possibility. But then a really big part of me were thinking at the same time, um, the only, I felt at the time, the only part that I had in it was saying yes that we could go and do it because I felt no part of my DNA or no part of me was going to be a part of this child. Um, and that was my initial thought. And I 
I just couldn't bring myself to accepting that that was a possibility for me. I, I thought this child's going to be raised by us, but not have any part of me at the time. Um, I've since learned that, you know, and it was through a conversation I had with my specialist, my endocrinologist, he was quite a, uh, you know, a kind man and a family man. And he just said, look, you know, you're such a, a great spirited bloke. You know, you, um, you know, this child's going to be, you know, carried in your wife. Uh, you're going to be investing in it from day dot. And when it's born, you're going to be there to carry it. You're going to be investing in it. It may not have any part of your DNA, but it'll have every part of your personality um, because you'll be raising it your own. And so that sort of made me think about it a little bit differently, but it was still something that we were both, um, well, neither of us were really 100% on it. And so um, at the time, we just decided, look, it's just a bit too much to try and figure it all out now. Um, maybe we just needed a little bit of time to uh, consider all our options and, you know, just go on living life, you know. And so at that moment, um, we had some money that we'd been putting aside to start a family. Um, it, was a, it was a decent sort of chunk, um, but, you know, not heaps. But, it, you know, we thought... The other thing that we've always wanted to do and maybe pursue is some traveling, some overseas traveling particularly. And so we thought, you know, let's take this time. Because um, as I mentioned at the start of the conversation, you know, we had a lot of friends, really close friends of ours that were having children and or had children and were raising their kids. Um, lots of really genuine people that loved us and you know they'll ask them the questions you know like you've been married a while now like when are the kids coming and so all those sort of things it, it's quite pretty challenging when you know this sort of is before you and, and you, uh, you know i just really want to get away we love everyone but we just need some space you know we need to just try and figure this out and have the room to be able to do that and so you know we decided to go traveling and um you know we Initially, we had set a time period of 12 to 18 months with 18 months being the most time we'd be away if we were able to get some um, volunteer or some uh, paid work while we were away. And uh, yeah, we, we left Australia in the end of March in 2015. So, and where, yeah, so it was a couple of years. Uh, yeah. So you, how, how long did you travel for? Um, well, we, we ended up traveling for almost three years. <laughs> That's we, um, oh, that's so yeah. amazing to to yeah. to give yourself yeah. that time to take to not be feel pressured or or put into that situation of, you know, just trying to weigh out all your options and and just listening to your story. It's incredible that you guys then decided like, hey, let's let's go travel and and you ended up traveling for three years. Where was uh, where were some yeah. of the best places or the your favorite places that you guys went? Um. Well. The initial step, stepping stone of leaving the country and, and, you know, having a desire to go to so many places but not being able to choose one, we, we took on, we took on a, a, a volunteer position in the city of Siem Reap in, uh, in Cambodia. Um, we were, that was, even though it was looking back, it was definitely one of the most challenging experiences we've probably ever had as a couple and as individuals but also you know, as like being in a country like Cambodia, which has a lot of restrictions and uh, challenges in itself. Um, 
but you know, being we were a part of an organisation called IVCM, and they ran a a school, a little school base in one of the slums, and uh, their building was. Uh, it wasn't like excellent, but it was better than a lot of places around. And so the kids had a, a safe place to come. You know, they had a food program there, um, and we were we were acting managers. So we we helped to facilitate, um, you know, the running of uh, of of the of the base. Um, we helped to support the teachers who were just young women that were really keen to make a difference in kids' lives, and. Um, you know, being a part of that, seeing some changes, uh, some kids coming in and, and the differences they make. I think that in ourselves, you know, we, we've been involved a lot uh, in our communities, uh, in different places we've lived, and having that um, approach where we can, um, you know, get alongside people, um, encourage others. Um, you know, being a part of a solution is also amazing. Sometimes it's not always a solution, but, you know, you're a, a little part of that. Um, you may not be the ones that make it all happen, but you're part of the journey, which is pretty awesome. So that was definitely a, a prominent, um, you know, part of that travel. Something that we uh, especially loved, and we uh, often have, um, uh, you know, memories going back to that. I think um, the other really great memory was um, uh, for me. I loved uh, we backpacked through Eastern Europe and. Um, Romania, particularly for me, was a, a beautiful country. I think the people, uh, probably Romania and Serbia, a combination of the two, both countries, you know, going through the devastation of war and and just seeing the resilience in people, um, regardless of, you know, the challenges they faced. And, you know, as I said, going away and travelling was, was a healing time for us, you know, and... Uh, I didn't say that, but that was like for us uh, going away was in my mind a time for us to heal, to grow together, um, learn from each other, um, have time to process what's happening and where we see our lives sort of leading and going. And, you know, being in these countries and seeing these people having a normal life and then all of a sudden, you know, war or famine or whatever takes over and their lives are changed forever, you know, I just feel like it was like a related to me and um and and despite all this the people were um were so kind and so friendly and they were so proud of you know um their countries and you know the people they'd become as a result of you know the the turmoil they went through and and i think you know just thinking about now and and, and processing that information once again after you know we've been back a couple of years you know just it it, it really brings like an emotional sense to it too because I feel like you know we're, we're overcomers you know and um, even though these things happen in our life um, and has happened it's only a small part of my life you know I, I have um, yeah I have Kleinfelder syndrome but it's not something that holds me back from achieving things uh, if anything it, it provides me um, a, like something to work from and uh, now that I feel like in myself that, you know, I, I, I can do pretty much anything that I set my mind to, um, yeah, I, I just want to be able to pass on to others, you know, encourage others. Because a lot of the time in those experiences, when you're stepping outside of yourself, it really brings a lot of 
um, joy. Um, you know, you can see, not straight away, but, you know, after working with people and having that conversation, learning from others, um, you definitely have to have a willingness for that. It doesn't come easy for some people, and I respect that. Um, but for me, you know, I just love getting around people. And, you know, when you can see that you're having a positive impact on someone, it just really brings like a real purpose to your life. Um, and you know that regardless of, you know, what you may be facing or have faced, um, it's a part of your character and it, 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 you know, you can be strengthened from that. And so I'm just really encouraged. Absolutely, um, man. And, and it's my life so far. It's incredible to just be able to have you on the show and, and um, help all of those others out there in Australia or all over the world that listen to this podcast and have Kleinfelder syndrome and, you know, are struggling at the time or what it, whatever it may be within that time period that they're going through. I wanted to kind yeah. of touch base with you on, on your profession. And, and one of the things that we have, uh, Jeff and I have in common is we were both chefs. Jeff is actually a current chef and with um, the COVID happening all over the world, Jeff right now is, what are you doing? You're volunteering your time to help people. And I uh, just want to hear a little bit about uh, you as a chef and, and uh, just what, what you like to do for fun. Sure, man. Yeah, look, uh, it's, it is a challenging time for everyone at the moment. The hospitality industry has had a, a major um, setback um, and, you know, closing a lot of restaurants and hotels and resorts and different things. Um, I'm currently, um, I'm currently employed by an overseas, um, a Swiss company who run a, an international camp for children called Lovell Camps. Uh, they're based in the Swiss Alps. Um, I work there seasonally, currently employed, um, to work uh, over the recent winter, um, where they run a winter camp and do skiing. And then also in the summer camp, they run, um, you know, lots of different wonderful activities in the middle of the uh, Swiss Alps. Um, but I'm also, while I'm off work, because it's difficult to travel, Australia has an international ban at the moment. Um, I'm working from home, actually. My wife is back at work. She's a mental health nurse and uh, taking my role as house husband quite seriously, enjoying being around home and doing the gymnastics and different things. And I we're a part of a little community here um, who get together uh, weekly. And I thought part of the, part of the group uh, are quite older people over 60 and um, 70, 80, some of them. And I thought it'd be great to provide a, a takeaway meal service um, to about 20 of them. Um, we don't always get 20 meals, but I offer two meals a week, uh, Wednesday and Friday so far. And uh, just do meals that they would normally maybe not cook at home or they might go out for, for example. And um, I can organise them um, and cook them at cost. And um, and then I just package them up and they come and collect them. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. I, I really enjoy that. It's, it's, I guess, providing a service and helping others in this desperate time. But also, I don't know, I love cooking and I love serving others and I love... Um, being you know a benefit to others and so it, it's a win-win for me um more so yeah yeah no i was just gonna say absolutely i mean you just just seeing you just listening to you talk you love um the empathy you love helping people and 
And it's it's incredible to see that not only with Kleinfelderson are you gonna are you helping people, but people that as a chef you're helping people eat and uh, just all over the world you've had an impact um, just traveling and being around people. So go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, no, it, and like in the at level camps, um, you know, there's uh, the kids that come. Uh, they also bring, uh, you know, there's teachers that come along too, and and there's also the camp staff. And, um, you know, I was pulled aside by the owners and managers um, during the season and they said, uh, you know, we, it's lovely to have you back. I worked for them during our travels um, back in 2015 to 17 uh, for three seasons. And then they sent out Lifeline last August. They'd lost their chef and they really wanted me to come back and help the change and, and you know, maybe redirect um, the future for the organization and through food um it's something i love um i love menu planning and but with it's a different situation not working in a five-star resort or you know a high-end restaurant um but you know they still have people coming and paying a good fee for a good service and so to have a great balance of uh flavors and 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 foods and using local produce where possible um, yeah, and it's quite challenging, but it's rewarding at the same time. So it's, it's it works for me. And um, you know, they they sat me down and said, you know, we we can't let you go. You know, it's we realise that you're halfway around the world, but we want to employ you for the rest of your chef and career. <laughs> and I was a bit like, oh, okay, fair enough. That's nice to hear that, but uh, you know, I don't know if that's going to be sustainable long term. But yeah, in the meantime, uh, we'll just see how we go. But um, to see how that, um, you know, impacted them, and, and at the same time, they said, you know, we've noticed the way that you are with the staff. You know, we love that. You know, anyone can walk into the kitchen. Um, we never hear any fights. We never hear any yelling. There's no uh, profanity. Um, I don't think that, you know, they said we. I don't think we've ever seen you angry. Um, and all those things are true. I, I don't know why that is. Um, I've definitely, you know, faced stress in my job. Um, and I think maybe it stems from, you know, years ago when I was doing my apprenticeship. Um, I did them in the apprenticeship on Daydream Island Resort in the Whitsundays, which is quite an amazing holiday spot. It would be similar to the Caribbean, I guess, over in the States. Um, just lots of beautiful islands and, and tropical um, existence, really. Um, but I, I worked in a resort there under German, Austrian and French chefs. And a lot of those chefs are really, really hard, uh, really difficult people to, to, to work with. Uh, they'd often, you know, pull you out in front of everyone, make an example of you just because they could. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe we make some mistakes as apprentices, but that's what apprentices are. are. You know, you, you, you make mistakes, so you learn from those mistakes. Oh, um, man. But there was many... Those those uh, yeah. those French chefs. You reminded me of my day in cooking. Those French chefs. Oh man, uh, to pull you in the walk-in or pull you into the walk-in freezer yeah. and just scream at you and break you down yeah. mentally and throw yeah. stuff at you. Oh man, I definitely don't miss those days. But nah. you, def you definitely learn a lot from not making mistakes after you've made a mistake. Yeah, I think too. Though um, from a from a a leadership point of view and someone like myself, I knew that I would 
I maybe didn't see this far down into the future, but I knew I would also always like cooking. And um, I thought, you know, if I'm going to have any uh, influence over people, I don't want it to be that way. You know, I don't want to push people beyond their capabilities um, in a negative sense. Definitely, it's good to push people um, to to maybe um, try and break a little bit of the cycle sometimes because, uh, you know, uh, I've been given a gift of being able to see, um, you know, the potential in people. And I, myself, it, it helps me personally when I'm able to then push someone else to reach their potential. That's important. I definitely believe that. Um, but to, I think, pull people down to make you feel bigger is definitely not on. Uh, people don't respond to that very well. And I think seeing that and being treated that way, I always thought I'm never going to treat anyone that way. And so, you know, when my employers said to me that, you know, we never hear you fighting or throwing anything or getting angry or anything like that, People just don't respond like that, you know. Some people might, but it's in my experience, they don't respond to being treated and being yelled at. And so, um, you know, I run a really good um, tight kitchen, uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, there's respect to others and there's, in, in return, there's respect to me. Uh, I don't demand respect. I think that's something that just comes um, when you're treating others you know, how they should be treated. Um, and so... You know, I think through the experience of cooking is one thing, but I think being in a kitchen and working with others and getting the job done, you know, it's it's a hand-in-hand hand thing, you know. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. You, you hold a lot of leadership when you're when you're able to treat other people respectfully and not, not just be, um, you know, a mean person behind the kitchen and, and be mean to the staff and run it um, however you want to run it based off of your ego or however that goes. So speaking um, of uh, speaking of just you being a leader, um, recently you were featured in uh, Healthy Male Andro Andrology Australia, and uh, you were published in uh, in a magazine. What what was that all about? Yeah, that was that was a bit of a um, that was a nice little surprise. I mean, I, I knew about it. Um, we were we were just about to go on an annual holiday last September, and I. My wife had registered to compete in the half marathon in Melbourne, in Australia. Uh, she's she's a runner. She loves that sort of stuff. It's fantastic because it's uh, she's very self motivated and and all that. Um, so we we'd registered for that, and her mum and her are both uh, a little maybe a little bit competitive, uh, and they decided uh, they might set up a uh, a team uh, for for the marathon where they would um, get in touch with Healthy Male. Uh, she really wanted to be a part of um, raising some money for Healthy Male and Kleinfelder Syndrome. And so uh, it all came about that someone from Healthy Male got in touch with my wife and said, um, you know, what's your connection with Kleinfelder Syndrome? And she said that my husband has Kleinfelder's. And they instantly wanted to learn more about um, Kleinfelders because in Australia, it's it's not very well known. Uh, there's not a lot of, I mean, there's people doing their bit, but there's just not a lot of awareness. Um, and so they got in touch with me and said, we'd really love to do a story on your life uh, from 
you know, from the early days to learn a little bit more about Kleinfeld syndrome and, and you as a person. And, uh, you know, would you be interested in, in sharing that, sharing that story? And so, uh, initially I, I didn't really think much of it. Um, not that I didn't want to do it. I just didn't, didn't think that people would be interested in it. Um, but after, you know, chatting to you, Ryan and, and, um, you know, you connecting me with a few other gentlemen in Australia, um, with Kleinfelders and, and hearing their story and having that feeling of, yeah, you know what? Um, I think it's time for me. I mean, I love people already. I love connecting with people, you know, what better way of sharing with people about my condition and Kleinfelder syndrome as a whole, um, but also about sharing my journey and mainly my journey being an encouragement for others um you know through their experience and so i got contacted by uh, a journalist who works alongside the healthy male team um and uh yeah we we just sat down one day and uh, had a conversation she rang me and like we're talking now we just talked and she maybe asked a few leading questions but apart from that we just talked and from that information she, you know, took that down and, and penned it and, uh, um, you know, it was backwards and forwards for a while. They, they really wanted to uh, get it right. They wanted the story to be how I was telling it, um, but also with a little bit of information added. Uh, and so, but most of, yeah, all of the words are mine. Um, so, yeah, they're adamant. They really wanted the, the story to be told by me. Um, so I really felt... Um, you know, appreciated and encouraged by that. And yeah, it was the following January, this January this year, it was published. And um, yeah, it's just, been, it's, I mean, I haven't, um, it hasn't been an overwhelming, oh, everyone knows me now or anything like that, but it wasn't meant to be that way anyway. It wasn't, you know, something, oh, I'm, I'm in this and I'm, you've got to read this and definitely get my family behind it um, and my aunties and cousins because uh, they would never have known. They were interested in it. But, um, and since the story's come out, uh, a lot of friends I've been able to share with and um, send a magazine to and, and different things. And uh, that's what it's all about, is raising awareness. And um, But also to, to just show people that, you know, you might be able to do some things and you might have some physical and social restrictions. But if you if you're passionate about wanting to overcome those, it's possible, you know. And I think through this experience, it's taught me that, um, you know, I have got a lot left to give, um, and I have a lot more to strive for. And uh, I'm no different from anyone else. I can do just about anything that. I put my mind to. Um, it's just uh, about going for it, you know? yeah. And so, totally, yeah. Going, just going for it, and also like being a chef and hands-on and doing things with your hands. Have Have you found that that for you is something that you're just extremely like skilled at? Once you've gained that confidence in yourself to believe in yourself. Oh, definitely, definitely. I I love it. You know, I. I have a lot of friends who have been in the, the field for many years. A lot of them have burned out um, or just lost their passion. 
for me, it's just in, it keeps increasing. Um, mind you, probably 2002, I took a break from the industry. It wasn't something that was thrust upon me. I was, had friends who were off doing some harvest work, picking grapes and different things. And, and I thought, you know, it's an opportunity. The work I was doing at the time, I was only getting a few hours a week uh, and I just felt like it was the right time. And I, I managed to be able to um, do some traveling around Australia and seeing some of my own country as well. Um, traveled quite extensively um, through the different states. I haven't been to the Western side, but I've been to most of the others. And, you know, that was a really great time too, because when I was ready to come back, I was ready to come back and I was super passionate and I just really wanted to, to, to get back on the, on, you know, and, um, being, I think being at home too this time and having time to think about um, where I see my life going and you know us as a couple and, and our you know, goals that we have and, and dreams that we've set and and how I can be a benefit to that and how you know my giftings and and strengths can be a part of that you know definitely is, is great um, but I love cooking um, but not just cooking I, I love to teach others how to cook and that's probably something I want to continue to do and that's why I probably love the job um, abroad is um, you know being around uh, the younger people um, and in a team environment and you know teaching someone how to make a loaf of bread I mean I worked for a, um, a private family a few years ago during our traveling time and um, the lady was so passionate about her young twin boys four-year-olds um, having as much experience and so you know we started just cooking classes for four-year-olds that was definitely a nightmare um, but uh, <laughs> it was um, it was fun at the same time uh, I won't say nightmare I, I hats off to all parents um, but it was definitely challenging uh, but you know you break everything down in the simplest form you know we made bread together and um, you know we made um, burgers and you know basic things that kids love but, uh, you know, it's it's being adaptable. That's one of the biggest things of being a chef is you just need to be flexible and you need to be ready for any challenge that comes. Um, you can't be rigid. It's definitely great to be structured and have a plan, but you need to be prepared that that plan is going to change regularly. <laughs> and um, for me, I've learned to be really, adjust, you know, really adaptable. Um, I can think on my feet. And that's coming back to... You know, Kleinfelders, um, way back when, I now that I'm on um, the hormone replacement therapy, testosterone, I've been on testosterone about six, seven years. Um, now that I have that flowing, you know, balanced in my, uh, in my body and have, it, it's given me a new lease on life, essentially. It's, it's really, um, you know, picked up my energy levels. It helps me think more clearly for longer periods. Um, it helps with my muscle development so that I can train and be more effective uh, on the job. I can stand for many hours. Um, but also too, um, just with being, like it's helped with my being assertive. And um, yeah, I guess not going into a fight, but being able to see a situation from all angles and then having the courage to go with the right direction. I think that's definitely been uh, the big thing and it's made a difference. And, you know, looking back over the years and seeing 
what I did and how I what I achieved without testosterone is just I think the big man's got his finger on the life for sure because I don't know how I would have done it otherwise. Um, so yeah. I mean, you're here for a, you're, you have a purpose and, and just hearing your passion on how much you want to give back. I mean, to go from being diagnosed, you know, choosing the route of just going to travel and then just kind of working on your life for a little bit and then giving back to teaching kids how to cook and, and, um, you know, helping during this incredible time, helping elderly by cooking and offering your services and then being open about your Kleinfelder syndrome and that taking the courage to actually open up about it and not be afraid of the stigma and the fears that are out there, especially the lack of information that's in Australia. I mean, there's lack of information all over the world. Um, but there's definitely a lot, you know, a lot of lack of information in Australia and breaking down those Mm -hmm. stigmas, um, by putting yourself out there and, and then all of a sudden that part of you, that's that empathy that you want to help other people. Now you're, you're opening up and you're, you're wanting to help others with Kleinfelder syndrome. And, you know, we're definitely going to have to bring you to the States. Uh, eventually, uh, we want to, you know, do some type of camp in the future of teaching other kids how to, you know, cook or nutrition, self-advocacy mm. stuff. And you as a chef and how passionate you are in helping people, that's just something that our organization just firmly believes in. And it's so incredible to, you know, have you on this podcast and to get a little dabble into your life about what, you know, what it's like for Jeff and growing up in Australia, somewhere different and not, not you found out, you know, trying to have kids, which there, there are quite a lot of guys out there that, you know, they that's one of the ways they find out that they have Kleinfelder syndrome and they, they look back and it's incredible to see that you've had such a positive impact with uh, hormone replacement therapy and uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's just been it's been incredible listening to you talk about a little bit about your life. And you know, we're definitely gonna do another podcast episode with Jeff uh, when he has time. We'll probably break down just helping and chef and more more in depth of of what the, some of the awesome positive traits that he's noticed about Kleinfelder syndrome in his life. Um, so yeah, man, I, it's been incredible to have you on. And uh, do you have anything else that you kind of want to say to the the people out there listening? Yeah, look, I think it's one of the questions that the um, Healthy Male sort of team asked me as well about, you know, what, what something I can pass on to others. I think, um, especially to guys, um, you know, with the, you know, facing some challenges ahead, um, I can't speak for mums with young sons because um, I was a young son but yeah my mum didn't know at the time Um, but just to you know try and try and appreciate who you are as a person Um, you know we're all valuable it it doesn't matter if you know we can't do what everyone else does you know no individual is meant to do what the next person does you know as, as a a clone, you know, you're individual, you have all your own strengths, um, you have so many gifts, um, you know, and you're a, you're an important and amazing human being. And, um, yeah, life is so valuable and it's valuable not only to you, but it's valuable to all those around you. And so 
you know, even though there's challenges that lie ahead and, um, you know, you might feel that, you know, you know you, you've got some a lot of growing to do or you can't do everything that everyone else does, it's, it doesn't make you any less. So, yeah, I just wanted to encourage um, you all to just keep going. Uh, enjoy the journey of life and um, that, you know, there's people like me and Ryan and others who are willing to stand with you and um, help you make those steps. You know, it's uh, life is is so um, special, but it, it's also, uh, what's the word, um, it's fragile at the same time. And so, but, but you just, yeah, just want to encourage you to get out there and, and, and make a difference in yourself to then make a difference in other people. Yeah. Absolutely, man. That's, that's incredible. Do you, uh, do you have any social media outlets that if, uh, people wanted to follow you on Instagram or, um, anything yeah, like that? Yeah, I have, um, I have a couple, one in particular, my, um, everyone can find me at, at Instagram, um, Aussie chef dot Jeff. Um, and, um, I also have set up a, um, a food, uh, page on Instagram for the food that I produce um, at the camp in, in Switzerland and it's uh, um, at uh, Lovell Camp Cuisine all one word um, but I'm also um, yeah probably Instagram is the best place to find me I think absolutely and, so, and Jeff is yep. spelled with a G right G-E-O-F-F yeah it's a, it's a Northern European uh, version so yep awesome My man German roots well, it's been incredible having you on here. And if you guys are listening still and you'd like to um, read Jeff's story, it's now available on our website under the my, under our community section on our blog. There will also be social media posts out there for all of you to read mo- a little bit more about Jeff, some more photos of what he looks like, who he is. And until next time, we can't wait to have you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join us on this podcast. Uh, It's been my absolute pleasure and uh, all the best to everyone.